The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. Stocks are set to snap a five-week winning streak as the 2023 rally looks to be running out of steam. But for 2024, there is anything but consensus. We will lay out the bull case and, of course, the bear case coming up ahead. But today, investors are looking towards that big November jobs report for the latest insights into the health of the U.S. economy after that much weaker than expected jolts report earlier this week. Zip Recruiter's Julia Pollack is here to shed some more light on that. Now, speaking of the economy, a rare miss for a high-end retailer and Lululemon with a cloudy sales outlook for the holiday season. We will take a look at that stock and sector in a moment. But we got also Bitcoin's stellar bounce back apparently doing wonders for Anthony Scaramucci. And then later on, Elon Musk asks the Supreme Court to remove what some have called his Twitter sitter. It is Friday, December 8th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chewin for Frank Holland on this Friday morning. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. equity futures. After a mixed day for stocks that saw the Nasdaq actually eat out, eke out a slight gain, this morning we are seeing at least green on the screen for now, modestly so. The S&P is implied higher by six points, the Dow Jones by about 57 points, and the Nasdaq up by roughly 9 to 10. So modest moves, but they're still green. Checking in on the bond market as investors await that big November jobs report. After the weaker-than-expected report for ADP, private payrolls, on Wednesday, showing the smallest sector, private sector job gains since September of 2021. 10-year note yield is ticking ever so slightly higher, 4.178% there. The two-year note yield, 4.622%, and the 30-year long bond higher ever so slightly to 4.277%. In energy, oil is still at its lowest level, going all the way back to around June, but we are seeing a little bit of green on the screen this morning. WTI, West Texas Intermediate Crude Prices, the U.S. benchmark gauge up about $1.44 to $70.78. So now back above that big figure, 70, 2% upside there. The exact percentage move higher for ice Brent crude futures right now, currently up $1.56 a barrel, $75.61, your last trade there. And then in cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is still holding above that 43000 mark. Remember, it ticked over 44000 at one point earlier this week. Bitcoin price is now modestly lower, down about 56 per token, 43,144. Ethereum price is up about one quarter of 1%, $2,349 there. Now, despite some modest gains yesterday, the Dow and the S&P are still on track to snap what's been a five-week winning streak. But where we go for the rest of December and the year ahead, there is anything but consensus there. The latest outlook from J.P. Morgan's Marco Kolonovic telling clients in the last 24 hours it's a lose-lose and a catch-22 situation for stocks in the next year, and investors should stick to cash and bonds over equities. His 2024 year-end S&P price target is now 4200 
which is, by the way, the lowest on Wall Street. Then there's permable Tom Lee of Fundstrat with a very different take on things. He says stocks are set to surge in the year ahead, targeting 5,200 on the S&P in 12 months from now. Thanks to falling inflation and interest rates, that's, by the way, the highest forecast on the street. So joining us now to break it all down is Ivory Johnson, Delancey Wealth Management founder and a member of the CNBC Financial Advisor Council. Ivory, this is the time of year when we try to figure out. Now, it's a fool's errand. Predictions are tough. But everyone has certain inputs into their model, a certain overriding philosophy, thesis that goes into what they think about. Where does the market stand in your mind with regard to the bull and the bear case? Well, I focus on, you know, the GDP growth and inflation growth on a rate of change basis. And so it's important to look at 2023, what happened. GDP has been resilient because the government spent, you know, two and a half trillion dollars to, to give you an equivalent. That's three times the amount of the 2008 bailout. So that's why GDP has been resilient. Uh, if you go forward uh, right now, they're looking at the job numbers because they want interest rates to come down. And why? It's because we have these huge refinancing risks coming up. Uh, they, to give you a sense, it's $7.6 trillion in government debt that has to get refinanced. Uh, there's $2 trillion in the budget deficit, a trillion dollars in corporate bonds, a half a trillion in commercial real estate at much higher interest rates. And so I think you're going to see not only some, some, some trouble with refinance risk, but the consumer is tired. Uh, you got a trillion dollars in consumer debt. You've got in, I think, 46 states, 20% of adults live in houses where they're behind on rent and, and, and their mortgage. Uh, luxury goods sold on a year over year basis are starting, are starting to decline. Personal bankruptcies are going up. So the data tells me that what's most likely to happen is we're going to face some headwinds going into 2024. So if those headwinds are there, you're not the only one that feels a little bit more cautious, more conservative about the outlook. What then do you tell clients about how they should be positioning and what exactly would be the overriding theme as to whether or not they should be buying equities in, say, the first quarter or two of 2024? Right. So I, what I tell people is it's best to hit singles and doubles right now. And you can do that by having your core holdings of stocks. You can't time anything. So I wouldn't get out of stocks. But I would certainly have some defensive measures in there. That's why I've been talking about buying gold uh, all year long, because it's a a safe haven. Uh, Uranium stocks seem to be doing right now, doing well right now, because the IEA thinks that we're going to have to double the nuclear capacity uh, to hit the net zero commitments. And the other thing you mentioned was Bitcoin. The the reason Bitcoin's doing well is because the premise is that you're exchanging something that's in abundance, which is a dollar, for something that's scarce, which is Bitcoin. There's only 21 million coins ever produced. So when they're creating money supply like they were in 2020 and 2021, that premise does does well for Bitcoin. When you tighten, uh, that's why Bitcoin went down. What's happened in 2023 is the rate of reducing liquidity, the, the rate of tightening has declined. And that's why you've seen Bitcoin go up. So it's really a hedge against the government going back to deficit spending and debasing the currency. All right. So a bit of caution there from Ivory Johnson. Thank you very much, sir. We'll get your thoughts later on this uh, season as well. Happy holidays, sir. Happy holidays to you, too. All right. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good Friday morning to you all. Apple is apparently planning some major production expansion outside of China. 
The Wall Street Journal reporting Apple aims to make more than 50 million iPhones a year with its suppliers in India the coming years. Now, that's roughly a quarter of the company's global iPhone production. The journal says a new Foxconn plant in southern India is expected to start operating in April. And this, as the Nikkei reports, Apple is shifting engineering resources for the iPad to Vietnam. Apple is working with China's BYD on the effort. Other suppliers, including Foxconn and Luxshare, have invested in Vietnam to diversify production away from China. Meanwhile, Levi Strauss says CEO Chip Berg is stepping down in January. He'll hand over the reins to his appointed successor, Michelle Gass, who left the CEO job at Kohl's to become Levi's president this past January. Berg, who took over the company in 2011, will stay on as executive vice chair until he retires in April. And Elon Musk is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to undo the settlement agreement that he and Tesla struck with the SEC requiring a company lawyer to approve his Tesla-related tweets. In a petition to the court, Musk's attorneys allege the so-called Twitter-sitter provision violates his rights to free speech. The SEC filed civil fraud charges against Musk in 2018 after he posted a series of tweets saying he had funding secured to take Tesla private, Dom, and we all remember that. Funding secured, 420. Thank you very much, Silvana Hanel. To a developing story now on Hunter Biden, President Biden's son, being indicted on tax-related charges in the state of California. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us from Washington, D.C. with more on that story. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Dom. So Hunter Biden has been indicted on nine tax-related charges, including three felony accounts, according to documents filed in a federal court in California. Now, the indictment accuses Hunter Biden of failing to pay at least $1.4 million in taxes over four years. Prosecutors allege that Biden misled his accountants into filing returns that included items that were incorrectly labeled as business expenses. It also says that the defendant, quote, spent money on drugs, escorts and girlfriends, everything but his taxes. If convicted, the maximum penalty would be 17 years in prison. The White House declined to comment on these charges, and Hunter Biden's lawyers argue that if Hunter's last name was anything other than Biden, the charges would not have been brought. Now, this indictment does not appear to reference President Biden, but these latest charges are a significant development in a federal investigation that has grown scrutiny from congressional Republicans who have really seized on Hunter Biden's legal woes and used them as ammunition against the president. The House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith reacted to the new charges, saying they confirm the need for Congress to move forward with an impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden. Now, House Republicans have subpoenaed Hunter Biden, and Hunter Biden has insisted that he only will testify if it's public, not a closed-door deposition. Dom. All right. Bree Jackson with the latest there on Hunter Biden. Thank you very much for that. We've got a lot more here to come on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors need to know today. But first... Getting set for today's big jobs report, we speak with the chief economist at ZipRecruiter for some hiring frontline insights, plus shares of Lululemon under pressure after a rare miss, what it says about the state of the U.S. consumer, especially on the higher end of things. And then later on, the European Union is in the final throes of drafting some of the most comprehensive rules for the use and development of artificial intelligence. We will speak with one primary player in the space with his take on the talks, plus the multi-million dollar deal his firm just reached with Salesforce. Got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break.
while no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. The United Nations Climate Summit begins its second week in Dubai as negotiations intensify over a potential phase-out of fossil fuels. In the meantime, large corporations are making their own news. Diana Olick joins us now live from Dubai with the latest on COP28. Diana. Well, Dom, the official COP negotiations are intensifying as the Tuesday deadline nears, but already dozens and dozens of side agreements and coalitions have been announced and expanded. One involving aviation technology, and talking to us about that is Lauren Riley, Chief Sustainability Officer at United Airlines. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, tell us about this new corporate partnership that involves Boeing and Baker Hughes. Well, you know, we're really excited to be joining this partnership because, frankly, while aviation is only responsible today for about 3%, of global greenhouse gas emissions, our transition to low carbon flying really relies on a whole systems-wide approach to decarbonization. So we need other industries, in particular power, infrastructure, and more, to enable us to be able to decarbonize because we need to use their solutions such that United can build a path forward to decarbonize. And you've also launched United Airlines a fund this year. Tell us how much is in it and where it's going to. Well, the fund is really important, and that's a lot of why we're here today. Um, we launched the Sustainable Flight Fund, which is a $2 million, $200 million fund to invest in the production of sustainable aviation fuels, which are the equivalent to conventional jet fuel. They just reduce the emissions up to 85%. So this is really the solution that we need in the marketplace. But we're not seeing the production come online fast enough. And so United decided, hey, we're going to take a leadership role here. We're going to invest and put some dollars forward. We have about 13 investing partners across the entire value chain that are working with us to invest in those early stage climate technology companies that we believe have the ability to transition aviation to sustainable flying. And so we've heard that there's been a lot of criticism that SAF or sustainable aviation fuel is not scaling fast enough and that's difficult but you've had good talks here you've had good partnerships here you said something to me interesting you said this is the new Davos tell me why you think that well this is really where corporations private sector come together with our policymakers to really kickstart these marketplaces that don't exist and that criticism you're referencing around sustainable aviation fuels that's simply an indicator that the SAF market the sustainable aviation fuel market it's an infancy stage. It's, it really is early. And so we need policies. We need the Inflation Reduction Act, which has really been a historic legislation, to help us build a foundation so that we can signal to all of those bankers out there, all of those investors out there, that the capital needs to flow into sustainable aviation fuel so that we can reach our goals of net zero by 2050. And from what you've heard here, are you more or less optimistic than when you got here? Oh, it's been incredible. I mean, the collaboration with our administration, the collaboration with members of Congress, really on a global scale, we've 
we've seen a tremendous focus on really trying to build the right foundation to enable our transition. And I couldn't be more excited about it. And I look forward to taking all the actions coming out of COP this year and actually putting it into use so that we can start having more production of sustainable aviation fuel in a timely manner. Right, because some people think this is all talk, but you're feeling that it is more action. That's great. Well, this is the action COP. This is the implementation COP. And we are here to declare that we are acting. And that's really where the Sustainable Flight Fund comes. It's our partnership with our corporate travelers, with our EcoSkies Alliance program. We've got a lot of efforts in workforce development and diversity. We are committed, and United is acting, and we're leading the industry forward. Lauren Riley of United Airlines, thanks so much for joining us. Dom, back to you. All right, Lauren, Diana, thank you very much for that from Dubai. Ahead on Worldwide Exchange here, high-end furniture retailer RH feeling the pinch from higher mortgage rates as its shares sink ahead of the opening bell. The full story on the company, no, formerly known as Restoration Hardware, coming up after this. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Shares of RH are falling ahead of the opening bell. The high end furniture retailer blaming. Higher mortgage rates and a frozen housing market for its surprise third quarter loss. RH says an uptick in promotional activity will weigh on its bottom line as affluent customers spend less on new home furnishings. Crown Castle shares are moving higher. CEO Jay Brown announces he's stepping down from the position and will be replaced by Anthony Malone on an interim basis as the board searches for a permanent successor. The shakeup coming within 24 hours of activist investor Elliott Management's call for a new chief executive saying Crown Castle needs, quote, enhanced governance and fiber strategy improvements, end quote, to address, quote, long-term underperformance, end quote. And Broadcom moving higher on an earnings beat. The chipmaker reporting a 5% increase in revenues, adjusted EBITDA growth of 8% and over $4 billion in free cash flow. Broadcom says generative AI demand is accelerating and expects $50 billion in revenue next year following its acquisition of VMware just this last month. Well, Mexico has become the top importer into the United States this year, surpassing China. It's largely due to nearshoring, where a company is looking to reach the U.S. faster by moving manufacturing to Mexico and then shifting away from China, as well as other Asian nations. Our Frank Holland traveled to Monterrey, Mexico, for a closer look at what the growing trend may mean for American companies. This DHL complex filled with tech, consumer, and industrial goods headed to the U.S. as part of the $30 billion in foreign direct investment in Mexico in 2023 to build new manufacturing and other sites. Lego is one of many companies in the Monterey area. The global toy brand aiming to double production here with every block going directly to the U.S. Monterey is less than three hours from Texas and central Mexico and is a growing hub for manufacturing goods for U.S. consumers. In every sector, we're having these discussions around uh, reshuffling the total supply chain and making sure uh, um, uh, that it is de-risked 
And because what we're talking about here is, is it's not only a cost topic, it's a de-risking of supply chains with everything we learned over the, over the past period. Tesla is opening a gigafactory in the Monterey area. Unilever also announcing it will build a new plant. Mondelez, Hewlett-Packard, Mattel, and many others are moving production or expanding production across Mexico. The 19% composite tariffs on goods for China is one reason for the shift. The other, increased supply chain reliability after the disruptions of the trade war and the pandemic. That is one of the big big drivers. People haven't forgotten about the trade war, the port congestion, and they think about Taiwan and they see these headlines. They understand that our future with China isn't stable. Even though she just came to San Francisco, that didn't really do much. People understand that it's shaky ground. And when you have all your eggs in that basket, it's scary to think that you're very vulnerable. Container shipping yards like these are a key part of the nearshoring equation. They allow companies to get their goods to the U.S. market faster. Once a container is here, it can get to L.A., Chicago, or New York within a week, either by truck or by rail. To get the same container from Asia to the U.S. takes at least a month. The full product line includes dress shirts, sport shirts, western wear, dress slacks. Ruben Antonio Marcos has seen a sharp uptick in U.S. inquiries for his company, Mariscal Apparel. The lead time gets shortened considerably, assuming there's stock here in Mexico. So that's a big part for them. They don't have to plan as much in advance. And then a lot of them just want to see if the price is competitive or not. Labor costs are another factor. Workers in China make $6.50 an hour compared to under $5 an hour in Mexico. A 20% increase to the Mexican minimum wage in 2024 could reduce that edge. Still, the Mexican manufacturing sector is forecast to grow by more than 30% over the next five years. All right, thanks to Frank Holland for that big report on nearshoring in Mexico. Straight ahead on the show here, marathon negotiations resume today in the European Union to create new sweeping rules for the use and development of AI technology. We will speak with one UK-based startup on what those rules could mean for his company and the multi-million dollar deal he just signed with Salesforce. But what exchange is back after this? It is 5.27 a.m. in New York, and there is still a lot ahead on Worldwide Exchange, so here's still what's on deck. Win streak at risk. The Dow and the S&P set to snap five straight weeks' worth of gains as questions around the strength of the year-end rally continue to grow. A key driver for today's action will be the monthly jobs report, providing the latest look on whether the Fed can pull off a so-called soft landing for the economy. And fresh fears around the strength of the U.S. consumer with Lululemon becoming the latest retailer to sound the alarm on the critical holiday shopping season. It is Friday, December 8th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu for Frank Holland this morning. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on U.S. equity futures. And right now we are still again seeing some modest gains implied at the opening bell. The S&P higher by about eight points, the Dow Jones up by 75, and the Nasdaq up by about 15. Now, the Dow and the S&P, they're poised to snap five straight weeks' worth of gains. The Nasdaq fighting to hold on to a six-straight positive week at this point. So you can see here, again, trying to figure out whether or not we can get any kind of a movement there to keep that win streak alive or if it gets snapped. In the bond market, yields right now are ticking higher, but ever so slightly. The benchmark 10-year note yield is still well below four and a quarter, currently just about 4.178%. The benchmark two-year note yield 4.62%, and the 30-year long bond just a hair below 4.28%. 
Let's also now take a look at oil prices. West Texas Intermediate, U.S. benchmark price is looking at its seventh straight week worth of losses. That's the first time it's happened since November of 2018. Right now, we're actually getting a slight bid to the market. WTI crude above 70 bucks a barrel, $70.31, up about one and a half percent. Similar percentage move for world benchmark ice Brent crude futures currently sitting at $75.16. Now, a big part of the market action today will be focused squarely on the November jobs report due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Economists are expecting employers to have added 190,000 more jobs in this last month, up from 150,000 jobs in October. Today's report will follow what's been a string of weaker than expected reports on the labor market from that disappointing job openings and labor turnover survey report to the Wednesday private payrolls report from ADP, which showed that hiring is slowing to a near two-year low now. Let's talk more about these trends with Julia Pollack, the chief economist over at ZipRecruiter. Julia, these job reports are always so highly scrutinized for good reason. Some would call them the biggest economic report in America each month. What exactly do you see about the American jobs economy right now that is either very positive or very negative, or are we just stuck in kind of neutral for the time being? Well, we are stuck in neutral, and I think that is a, that's very positive. So the labor market has been steady. It has been slowing down in a very gradual and orderly fashion. And I think that is exactly what the Fed would hope for. Uh, we've lived through something completely unprecedented recently, which is that we've seen a large, large drop in inflation, a large increase in interest rates without the typical increase in unemployment that typically follows. One of the interesting points you brought up the Fed is this notion that if this economic data continues to trend it the way it is, markets are now predicting what could be possibly rate cuts next year. (coughs) Excuse me. Do you believe as though the interest rate picture right now warrants any kind of a move in economic data that could justify it? Or do you feel as though the current trends in economic data are pointing towards at least no Fed action for quite some time? Well, I think we are getting very lucky on the inflation front. Inflation is coming down rapidly. It now seems that the pandemic was the key cause. We also have the winds of luck blowing in our direction with oil prices coming down. And if if inflation keeps coming down, even if the Fed holds steady, the real interest rate will actually go up. And there may not be a need for real interest rates to keep rising at this point. So I think there is very clear evidence in the slowing labor market, slowing wage growth, uh, that we are getting right to the point where we need to be. The labor market is pretty much all the way back to its pre-pandemic condition. Further cooling may actually be a sign of, of worry. Julia, where is the tilt in the jobs market right now going towards in terms of where you see the jobs being developed? where you see them falling off. Lately, it seemed like all those leisure and hospitality jobs that powered the post-pandemic gains are now starting to show a little bit of sign of weakness. Yes, the recovery in leisure and hospitality appears to be over. other parts of the economy that are very interest rate sensitive are also weak, and they, they just continue to be weak. Tech, manufacturing, construction. Uh, in the current climate, they will get weaker and weaker still with uh, with interest rates this high. 
other parts of the economy are hiring like gangbusters on you know, ZipRecruiter. Employers just can't find enough candidates. Uh, healthcare is projected to add the largest number of jobs over the next 10 years. We have an aging population. We have 10,000 Americans hitting the age of 65 every day uh, and reaching Medicare eligibility and demanding a lot more healthcare. Uh, so there are parts of the economy that are still very, very hot for structural reasons, but the cyclical parts of the economy are now hurting. Okay. Excuse me, the latest on the jobs report and everything else. Julia Pollack, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, shifting gears to one of your big money movers, which is Lululemon. Coming under pressure this morning, the retailer reporting strong third quarter results, but profits and revenue guidance for the holiday quarter are below analyst estimates, signaling what could be a gloomy holiday season as consumers become more choosy about spending on higher end apparel items. Lululemon's forecast is echoing sentiment from other U.S. chains like Walmart. Best Buy, Kohl's, all across the spectrum. So let's get more insight on Lulu's results and the state of the American and global shopper. Stacey Whitlitz is president of SW Retail Advisors, watches many of these retailers and the trends in the industry. Stacey, what are the big things that you can take away from Lulu's report? It, you, it was the higher end consumer that seemed to be holding a lot of things up for much of the retail picture for a good while now. Is that leg now finally starting to at least show signs of weakness? Well, Tom, I think it's really important to put this in context, right? Lululemon is at an all-time high, trading at an all-time high. It's up 40% year-to-date. And yes, um, the the high, the high guidance um, was a little bit disappointing for Q4, but still, they're talking about revenues of 13 to 14% for Q4. So I'm not calling this a, a, a massive disappointment here, but I think it's important to look at the market. They're talking about the active apparel adult market was down in the quarter in the industry, yet they're up double digits here. So they're gaining share. And I think those are the kind of names you want to continue to own on any weakness here. Margins were up. Inventories are way down down 4% despite sales up double digits. So clean quarter here, but yes, at an all-time high when, you know, that guidance kind of eclipsed the the, the street at the low end, going to sell off a little bit here. The biggest thing for athleisure, if you want to call it, or this kind of athletic apparel was the pandemic. It it shifted so many people who were working from home to kind of get more comfortable clothes. Tough comparisons are out there, Stacey. There's no doubt about it. So what powers the next leg higher for a company like Lululemon or other companies that have athleisure type lines? It's a great question, Don, because there are so many companies out there like a Williams-Sonoma, a Restoration Hardware, any stay-at-home companies that are facing all these multi-year impossible comparisons. And, you know, they're struggling at this point. And what they're trying to do is say, we're not going to promote to move stuff. Um, we're going to hold our operating margins until sales turn around, whether it's 2024, 2025. But Lulu, I think here, not only are they gaining share, but people continue to be comfortable at home. And also it's about innovation, new categories, um, if, you know, especially even in men's. So their unaided awareness in men's is only about 13%. I was, I continue to be surprised to hear those numbers. So I think the brand still has a long way to go, particularly internationally. And Stacy, I want to get your take on Today's big consumer stat, $975. That's the average amount the U.S. consumer is expected to spend on holiday gifts this year. That's according to new Gallup polling information. That's up from the $923 in the October survey. It's up $100 from last year. Now, typically, consumer spending estimates decline as we move through the holiday season. 
So what are your thoughts there? Is this just inflation that causes people to think they're going to spend more? Or do you think that there is this feel that they want to do so because they're in a position of strength? So I think a lot of that is inflation. As you know, food is up double digits on a two-year basis, and just about everything is. And I think some of that increased spending is clearly coming on essentials, um, it's health, it's food, it's also beauty. There are certain categories that are still growing. But, you know, we've heard from so many companies, and it's really, you know, you look at everything on a a broad a brush here, but if you look at particular names like an Abercrombie comping 26%, an anthropology comping 13%, there are definitely names out there that are absolutely performing a dicks. Um, so you know, I think you have to be careful in this environment to pick your names, pick where there's the operating margins are intact, and we're seeing continued share growth into 2024. All right. So you mentioned some of the names that you like. What do you think will be an underperformer this holiday season? So I think um, I think some of the names in apparel will continue to be disappointing. That's an Urban Outfitters, but again, they have anthropology to offset. Abercrombie and Hollister are still doing incredibly well. I think um, you know American Eagles put up some good numbers, but again, you know I think it's where the value is and where the traffic is at TJX. You know, positive traffic here, positive margins. Whereas Target still struggling a bit on the traffic front. So still more positive on, let's say, a TJX than a Target here. Also, if you think about a company like Walmart, who's been benefiting from inflation incredibly over the past several years. Now, you know, that's kind of behind us. It's tougher to comp when inflation isn't growing at the clip it has been. All right. Stacey Whitlitz with the State of the U.S. Consumer. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Good to see you, Dom. All right. Turning now to D.C., it's been 16 months since President Biden signed the CHIPS law. CHIPS act into law, yet few funds have been doled out to companies seeking to build out their manufacturing plants for that red-hot sector. CNBC's Christina Partzinevelis has a look at the key factors holding up that movement of cash to these companies. Turns out it's not easy to disperse $53 billion of taxpayer dollars, which is why I came to the Commerce Department to learn who's behind the decision-making process and why it's taking so long. I don't feel there's been a delay. I think we've been moving very rapidly. That's KKR veteran Todd Fisher, who is charged with determining which companies get the funds, likening the process to a private equity transaction. And then we had to build everything from scratch, and we had to put out the rules of the road, which we put out at the end of February. So the end of February was really the starting gun. Since then, the 120-person CHIPS team, led by ex-Wall Street pros, have sifted through 530 statements of interest and over 120 full applications, some filed just in the last two months or so. The team stays in constant communication with applicants during the due diligence process before allocating aid. We're going to ensure that we get a good deal for the American taxpayer by giving the companies only the amount of money that they need to be commercially viable in the long term and to strengthen our national and economic security. And to play catch up to Taiwan, which leads the global semiconductor production race with the U.S. two years behind. The CHIPS Act aims to close that gap. Dozens of companies like Wolfspeed have already started construction on hubs in the United States, while others like Micron and Intel have made big promises in hopes of receiving awards. For each award that we'll be making, uh, we'll be setting milestones. Those are going to be construction-based or commercial-based. The companies will have to achieve the milestones before getting their next uh, payment. With over 120 applications, the Commerce Department says not all companies will be getting government aid. But they did say they'll be cutting checks in the coming weeks. All right. Thank you, Christina Parts and Nevelis, for that report on CHIPS. Coming up on the show, we dig deeper into companies looking to tap into trillions of dollars up for grabs when it comes to government contracts. The CEO of one AI firm looking to do just that. 
and teaming up with Salesforce in the process. They join us next. Plus, Bitcoin's stellar bounce back apparently doing wonders for Anthony Scaramucci. We'll have that story. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A quick market flash for you. And we're watching shares of Alphabet after closing up more than 5% yesterday on optimism over the release of its Gemini AI platform. This morning, shares are up again, fractionally so about one quarter of 1%. And sticking with artificial intelligence and Microsoft, developing this morning with UK's top antitrust regulator saying it is now looking at the company and whether its partnership with OpenAI has resulted in the creation of a, quote, relevant merger situation. Now, in response, Microsoft President Brad Smith out with a statement just moments ago, quote, we will work closely with the CMA to provide all the information it needs on OpenAI antitrust review, adding having non-voting observer on OpenAI's board is very different from an acquisition. So again, the UK Competition and Markets Authority weighing in and asking for comment on Microsoft's investment in OpenAI. It's not just the UK, by the way. This morning, EU negotiators back at the bargaining table in Brussels looking to hammer out what's set to be the most sweeping and comprehensive set of rules for the use and development of AI in the Western world. One sticking point for the lawmakers and leaders in the 27-nation bloc continues to be how far to restrict government and military use of those technologies, like facial recognition, like biometric tracking, and more. Also key with any new regulation is in balancing innovation as more startups around the world look to capitalize on that AI boom. One of those startups is UK-based Autogen AI, a company focused on revolutionizing government paperwork. It's also coming off a fresh $39.5 million funding round led by, of all people, Salesforce and Spark Capital as well. So joining me now in a first on CNBC interview is Autogen AI founder and CEO Sean Williams. Sean, you find yourself at a very interesting crossroads in culture and technology. What exactly has been your take on just how well adopted the concept of AI is to the world writ large? Yeah, look, it's a fascinating time to uh, be alive with this generation of artificial intelligence. We're very used to computers being able to add up and multiply faster than us, but now they can read and write. And of course, reading and writing is profoundly human. uh, And the ability for computers to be able to do that faster than us, uh, better than us in many cases, uh, is something that is going to profoundly change the world. So the bit where we're taking that technology is in helping organisations to win more work, to write proposals faster, more efficiently, more effectively, uh, and essentially to get their message across in the written form better. That's the mission. What do you what do you want this ultimately to lead to? What do you want Autogen AI to become? What do you want their applications, your applications to look like in the, say, next five to 10 years? Yeah, in the same way that nobody makes a financial model without using Excel, nobody is going to write proposals or competitive business pros going forward without using Autogen AI. And that's because Autogen AI makes it so much easier, so much better, and and simply helps you win more. It's interesting. I was speaking with a professor who teaches a business and finance class, and he said that he has used AI applications, in essence, to comb through corporate filings on the SEC and regulators and create business analyses, a porter analysis, just based upon filings. 
How far can this AI boom go in just the next year or so? It feels as though there's a lot of momentum, but that momentum can't be upheld longer term, can it? 100%. Look, I think computers can read and write. So that example you just gave, you know, you, you can now read through documents, you can read through millions of words, orders of magnitude that would ever have been possible before. So even if the underlying artificial intelligence technology, the large language models, even if they don't get any cleverer, you've still got a decade of linguistic engineering of actually deploying that technology in real life work examples. Uh, for example, the uh, in, our, in our space, in bidding, tendering and proposal writing, and the ability to speed that up, make it more effective. Um, there, there are countless examples uh, across the business world of uh, of, of case uh, of, of use cases like that, um, which people will be finding and exploring and working on. And as I say, even if the underlying tech doesn't get any cleverer, I think there's a decade of linguistic engineering to be done there. All right. Autogen AI CEO Sean Williams on the latest for his company. Thank you very much, sir. Please come back and tell us uh, your story again soon. I'd love to do that. All right. Well, ahead on the show, the one word every investor needs to know today, plus the signals our next guest sees suggesting the rally is perhaps losing some steam with the Dow and the S&P poised to break five week winning streaks. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap up. A Los Angeles court hitting Hunter Biden with nine tax related charges, including three felony counts alleging he failed to pay or file taxes, evaded assessments, and filed fraudulent forms. Anthony Scaramucci reportedly raising $25 million for a new fund investing in beaten-down private companies. Scaramucci's investments in crypto and other digital assets bouncing back recently after his biggest fund lost nearly 40% last year. Blackstone and Digital Realty teaming up to develop $7 billion in data centers for the largest providers of online content, cloud services, and of course, artificial intelligence. The partnership includes the development of 10 data centers on four campuses in Frankfurt, Paris, and Virginia over the next several years. Boeing is reportedly warning of a two-month production delay for its 737 jetliner due to supply chain constraints and production disruptions. Reuters says the company now expects to produce 42 of its 737 models per month starting next February. Apple planning to build more than 50 million iPhones per year in India within the next two to three years. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. And breaking just moments ago, the UK's top antitrust regulator says it is now looking at the company and whether its partnership with OpenAI has resulted in the creation of a, quote, relevant merger situation. Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, responding, saying his company will, quote, Work closely with the CMA, adding having non-voting observers on OpenAI's board is very different from an acquisition. As we gear up for the final trading day of the week, let's see how markets are shaping up. We're slightly bid. Futures right now showing some modest gains at the opening bell. For more, let's bring in Degas Wright, founder and CEO and chief investment officer of Decatur Capital. He's also a CNBC contributor. Degas, great to have you here this morning. Can you take us through what you feel the market is giving you right now? Is it a general sense of optimism or are you feeling more cautious? Dom, so it's right in that optimism with some caution. What we're seeing is that uh, we're, we're concerned about the bank credit uh, contraction impacting refinancing into uh, 2024. We're also concerned about the potential spread of global conflicts in Israel and Ukraine. The Fed is still going to be uh, data dependent. Later this morning, we're going to hear about the unemployment 
rate, and we feel that it's going to be flat at 3.9. The core inflation is declining, but still above the Fed target. So we're seeing that this is going to be a soft landing. We're probably going to see easing in 2024 and or 2025. But we still believe that earnings expectations and revenue expectations drive stock prices. We're still continuing to see analysts increase their estimates for healthcare, financials, and technology. So increasing for certain parts, but then decreasing on some of the macroeconomic fronts. Take us through your word of the day, speaking of the economy and why it is. The word of the day is deceleration. The Fed is winning the inflation battle. Okay, so if that's going to be the case, and you mentioned those three sectors that you think are still poised for at least some outperformance, why is it that those particular moves in those particular sectors, given the macroeconomic, macroeconomic environment, are the ones that you would focus on the most? I, I speak only because it doesn't seem like you're mentioning certain parts of the overall market, like artificial intelligence. Are you going after NVIDIA or Microsoft or mega cap technology because of those trends? Where else are you finding some of those big momentum trades or value-oriented trades? Well, what we're seeing is that as the interest rates come down, those assets that have longer duration are going to get a lift. And so that's what we're seeing now. And we believe that's going to continue into 2024. So that will be our focus, those assets that have longer duration. Now, with that in mind, there are parts of the market right now that have staged a bit of a comeback after being beaten down pretty badly. I look at things like airlines and travel, other parts of the market, perhaps consumer staples, trying to find some kind of a footing. Is there a commonality about where you think we could see the biggest bounces for some of the places that have been beaten up the most in 2023? Well, what we're seeing is that where are the analysts increasing their estimates, particularly in revenue? And what we're seeing is that Staples is still actually coming down in estimates. Also, we see utilities coming down and materials. So we're still seeing that those sectors are going to be weak going into 2024. Once again, those sectors that get that increasing estimates, particularly in revenue, will be healthcare, technology, and financials. And so we're seeing those sectors but performing well going into 2024. And Degas, before we let you go, what's your top pick on your shopping list for 2024? Yeah, it's Universal Display. It's a technology firm benefiting from the transition of LCD to OLED screen technology for um, smartphones, laptops, and PCs. OLED technology has higher contrast, faster speeds, uses less power. Also, it has invested, the company has invested about 21 cents in research and development for every $1 revenue. Gotcha. Okay, Degas Wright, OLED, the pick. Thank you very much. Squawk Box is coming up next. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more.